Welcome to TGE, the podcast. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about Mulholland Drive, one of my favorite movies. I'm here with my friend Tyler. Tyler, how are you? I'm doing good, Sven, and it's a movie that was recommended by a listener on the YouTube comments, I believe. You prompted the podcast on the comments. Yeah, I also did a couple of polls to ask what should we do next, Mm -hmm. and it always won the poll. So people must really like us talking about it. Awesome. Well, we love being able to look into stuff that those of you that so kindly listen to this podcast recommend to us. We appreciate the listens. We appreciate you letting your friends know about it. I'm very curious if anyone tried saying, hey, Siri, subscribe to this podcast that owns an iPhone and listens to the podcast. Very curious about that. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Do you really appreciate the (laughs) listeners? And the uh, of I recommendations. Oh, is this that podcast now? Or <laughs> what is this podcast, Finn? I've been here for a while. What what is it? It's a podcast about movies. We're looking at iconic scenes, and we're actually we're looking at them as we are talking. And you can watch along. Usually, we have a link in the description of the podcast to a YouTube video that is widely available and we'll tell you when we started up and we're looking at the specifics of iconic filmmaking to really like have an opportunity to maybe look at films that we haven't seen in a while and look at specifics. We don't just want to like meander on on broad ideas. We want to look at something that's tangible and that we can use for our own storytelling. Awesome. And as I'm sitting here, I'm realizing that I'm trash, Sven. I'm complete trash. Do you want to know why? No, why? Yes, I do. Why? Because I saw this amazing documentary this week and wanted to talk about it for a minute because we talked about the Firefest doc last week. Obviously, I've seen a lot of documentaries this year. Two Fire Festival ones, as you can learn from the last podcast, which we should talk about the reaction to that a little bit. But I saw this documentary and I figured it was nominated, although I guess I kind of knew in the back of my mind that it wasn't. I just looked at the documentary nominees this year. I haven't seen one of them and I've heard nothing but good things about all of them. So what excuse do I have, Sven? Trash. Zero. Well, you told me I need to watch that film as well, so I'm going to see it tomorrow. Oh, really? Oh, very cool. So there's a little bit, there's a new game we play in this podcast called Who Can Pressure Sven the Strongest? So there's a lot of pressure from the listeners for him to see Bohemian Rhapsody and from myself, but I jumped in line. I cut ahead. I saw the movie They Shall Not Grow Old this week and said, Sven, you absolutely have to see this in 3D so we can dedicate an episode to it. Because for those of you that know what it is, it's Peter Jackson's World War One documentary. I'm not going to get deeply into it now. We'll wait for Sven to see it. He has plans to see it, which is very exciting. But he essentially took this 100-year-old World War One footage and restored it, colorized it, added sound to it, figured out what people were saying and added dialogue to it. So basically doing... It's a great example of how how much happens in post. I mean, it's, it's an example of so, so, so many things. But for those of you that are editors, it's a great example. It's a movie very much worth seeing because you can see really how much you can authentically add to just a silent moving image in the post-production. So it's pretty incredible. And if you get to see it, he does a 30-minute presentation at the end, he being Peter Jackson, of what went into the restoration of this film and, and how they did it and how they used the available technology they had to, to accomplish it. And it's it's really, really, really mind-blowing. I got to see it in 3D at the Arclight Cinerama Dome, and it was... I mean, it's an experience. I'm very excited to talk to Sven about the way that it was put together and, and the choices that were made within it. And until that point, I will hold off. But check it out if you can, because 
they shall not grow old next week. Well, thank you for pointing it out. Uh, you sent me a link of the trailer. I watched it within 10 seconds. I was hooked because they're sort of transforming that footage in the in the first beat. And it really sets up the premise of this. Yeah, and one thing to add to that is I saw, I'm, I'd seen the trailer a couple of times. It's like, all right, the same footage we've all seen 100 times in color, like yip de doo Then I saw the trailer in a movie theater, mm-hmm. and it blew my mind completely. There was something so different about seeing it on the big screen that really made me understand the depth of, of went into this. It was just mind blowing, just the trailer. So it was very cool to get to check it out. And it's one of those few examples where 3d is actually adds a tremendous level to the experience of the film. Nice. Well, I want to also bring something up, which is that a great YouTube channel that you probably know about called lessons from the screenplay just released a video on the film searching and uh, if you don't know, I made a video on searching a couple of months ago about the editing. They're just focused on the screenplay and they actually had the directors that they interviewed. And I think they're also starting a podcast where you can listen to the entire interview, but they use that as a foundation to just talk about how the script was formatted with uh, the challenge of doing a screen live movie. So everything told through computer screens. How do you actually tell that within a script? Um, all those lines and everything that you see and it's really cool and a great great additional uh, piece to dig in if you are already fascinated by the film searching which i think is one of the the films that are sort of flying under the radar but is doing great things for 2018 so reactions to the fire festival documentary should we get into that yeah did you get any um i did it seems like people prefer the netflix one for a lot (laughs) <laughs> but another one, someone said the internet historian did it better. And I was like, oh, someone did a better comparison than us. And then realized that the internet historian video is just basically another 20-minute documentary about Fire Festival that was made two years ago hmm. in a very clever, uh, colorful way. So it's fun that there's a third source. And, you know, YouTube did it. YouTube won. And a couple things I meant to point out about the differences between the films that I forgot to last time. One of them is the way that music is used in the Hulu one. I felt added to a lot of those traits that I was saying made it less impactful for me. It was just kind of very obvious and very by the numbers. And and there was one other thing that I texted you and totally forgot. Oh, you're going oh, through your text? Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> sorry. So, so the music and then also there were a lot of moments that were used in the same way. Like, for example, the way that the toast was explained in the Netflix one mm-hmm. was great because it just gave it that great like piece of sleazebag toast that they do. Just gave it a lot of context, whereas that's a good example of two direct comparisons where you can kind of see Hulu just going through the motions. And I would argue same for when they're trying to get off the island and they're trapped in the airport. Good stuff. Well, Um, we did only sort of broadly talk about those two documentaries. That's going to change today. We're going to look at a specific scene. Are we ready to segue into Mulholland Drive, or did you have anything else? So Mulholland Drive, for me personally, is a a groundbreaking film, and I haven't seen it since way back then when it came out. How about you? I saw it way back, way back during during its its hype and its height, which was kind of a different era. Movies could still be mythological yes. back then. It was pre-Twitter, pre... I mean, it just kind of still occupies this space, even now that it's survived, which I would say Lynch is the master of because 
Twin Peaks The Return is similar in that way. It still occupies that same space, even in spite of the existence of social media, yeah. so forth and so on. But it's uh, made by an AFI a fellow alum, right, Sven? That's true. And it feels like watching it now kind of like a goodbye film of an era that sort of completely disappeared of films. Hmm. Uh, it feels to me like, What's oh, that? way back then in the 90s, well, it was 2001 when it came out, they still made movies. Mm. They didn't have so many DC Marvel films and so many just digital computer facts. They were still using film as film and it just... Um, it's just the story itself is so engaging and so rich and so mysterious and um, mm -hmm. fully unexplainable what's happening, but uh, completely fascinating. It's interesting how things have changed. And I would, I would say it's interesting how there used to be a lot. I mean, a David Lynch movie was always, no matter when or what, going to be its own unique thing. But there used to just be so many better movies getting made. It's kind of amazing now that so much resources are going towards so few films, although way more films are being made. Yeah. Just how it's harder to have that 10 to $30 million drama that's just uh, incredible that comes out. And there's so many movies probably made in 2001, you could probably pick like the 10 like fifth best movies and those would easily be the 10 best picture nominees this year. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of what it feels like. Well, I think partially it's because... But films now at least at the high level have become so predictable and i mean i don't want to be the guy that says oh back then things were better but watching mulholland drive today i'm still like i ha have no sense of what might happen next because it's so mm -hmm. um, exciting and un yeah unpredictable like and i mean this is the kind of film where i think the filmmaker doesn't even know i think i mean david lynch says this film makes complete 100 percent sense everything is there and it there's a reason for <laughs> it um but mm -hmm. i know that none of the actors openly ever said that they understand what the film is and what how to explain the scenes and the storytelling in there I know that I saw somewhere that Naomi Watts pretended that she knew while they were shooting to um, tease <laughs> David Lynch about it, but uh, she she also reports that she didn't get under his skin. Um, and yeah, he's just completely one hundred percent confident about it. And he he loves that critics are interpreting this film and make assumptions <laughs> of what this is, and he will not reveal what it really means, but quite clear that they're probably all off well yeah that's funny and, and i've talked to enough actors in david lynch's films including this one yeah who i will not reveal but I, I don't think there's a lot of knowing what's going on in the filming especially when you get into stuff like twin peaks the return where it's just shrouded in mystery although i don't know why it was such a secretive shoot they could have just revealed everything that was going on and the mystery would still exist quite wholly for that one but I, I think that in terms of filmmakers, the way to interpret this whole thing, it isn't so much that... I, I think the thing that you don't want to overlook with Lynch is I, I feel like talking about his movies is like standing in front of an abstract painting and talking about, oh, the why do you think the eyes are here? Right. You know what I mean? It's like, just experience it. Yep. Don't over-articulate it. But I think the thing with his films, the thing to take away from a filmmaker is in terms of a creative process there's a tremendous amount of discovery that he sets himself up for on the set. Yes. And he's deeply engaged with that. And a lot of the creativity and statement is just coming through 
those discoveries. So they're not necessarily things that have been articulated and run through a crew. They just happen. And then that has meaning and that has logic and that has purpose. Yes. Let's say, but in terms of this idea, this mythological idea that there's going to be some answer at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. Good luck with that. Let me know if you find the one thing that like, you know, like it's seven or something like that. That's going to unravel the, the secret of his work. I think you might be looking at them wrong if you're looking for that. And yet his work has gotten so much attention and such longevity and such a life out of that type of stuff that I shouldn't, uh, I shouldn't take away from it because it's very fun. And I, I try to coordinate things in my mind more than anybody. We're editors, right, Sven? Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe that there's, you find the film in the footage or you find the film in the process of making the film. And I experience that with my own editing. I, I try, I, I don't even try. I just let the footage speak to me. Something is happening and I go off and I pursue that. And we talked about this prior that Stephen King is reporting about that same phenomena when he writes that it's like he's, he's almost like a, like a guy who's going after dinosaur bones um, and he's just uncovering them with a little brush and he starts to right. f- put p- to discover what this might be. And I think David Lynch recognized that clearly and he fully embraces it. And I mean, he's into meditation and getting inspired by just letting things happen. And he doesn't stress about it. He doesn't think about it too hard in terms of strategically planning a story and setting up character arcs to pay them off down the road. If it pays off, great. If it doesn't, doesn't matter anyway. It's raising questions. What he is such a master of, I think, is that he just creates scenes that are just intriguing. You always want to be like trying to figure things out and trying to just experience the moments that are happening on screen. And I just love that. And I mean, there are tons of filmmakers that don't know what they're doing or they're just sort of finding it in the moment, improvising it and completely failing at it. And I think David Lynch is one that is like on the other side of that perfection of just like in the moment, putting it all together. And it just worked with Mulholland Drive because of, I think, how this film came together. And maybe we should talk a little bit about sort of the origin origin story of Mulholland Drive. Yeah, and just one other thing I want to point out real quick, something that's fun to look at with a filmmaker like David Lynch is the difference between filmmakers that are held accountable and then not held accountable. Yeah. Because it's interesting to look at his work when there's sort of constraints that he's bucking against and fighting within to make certain films. You see the earlier films, you see Twin Peaks. Mulholland Drive is a great example because at one point it was supposed to be a pilot and it wasn't, so then it had to become a feature. And then when you see when he has complete autonomy with, I'll say, Inland Empire or Twin Peaks The Return, Mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing where it's like, oh, you would have just gone there this whole time. And so it's kind of fun to, especially with with something like filmmaking, with the, the art and commerce side of it, it's fun to look at and think about. And the other thing I'll point out about Mulholland Drive that's fun is the way that people discover it, it has such like a cherished sense of discovery. Yeah. And, you know, we've been cognizant watching films, you know, at the time Mulholland Drive came out until now. So it's, and people were discovering it then the same way that, you know, young filmmakers and people are just coming out of the woodwork now, like, oh, I just saw Mulholland Drive and like, it's, it's redefining their existences. And that's always cool to see that it's same thing to, to find it and watch it now as it was back then. Um, it's almost like the reputation of it is 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 nothing compared to the experience of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you see it today for the first time, 
I'm pretty sure you're going to have the same experience as if you would have seen it way back then. I mean, short of the like the sadness that I feel in terms of all those times yeah. have gone. Well, also realizing with hindsight how... What a commentary on Hollywood it is, too. Sure. A little more Hollywood experience has certainly yeah. come up in our lives since then. It's like, oh, you were saying that. Gotcha. Uh-oh. Yeah. Mulholland Drive is a 2001 neo-noir mystery film written and directed by David Lynch, starring Naomi Watts, Laura Herrings, and Justin Thoreau. It tells the story of an aspiring actress named Betty Elms, newly arrived in L.A., who meets and befriends an amnesiac woman recovering from a car accident. The story falls several other vignettes and characters, including a Hollywood film director. Originally conceived as a television pilot, a large portion of the film was shot in 99 with Lynch's plan to keep it open-ended for a potential series. After viewing Lynch's cut, however, television executives rejected it. Um, I saw somewhere that like there were 300 tapes, like VH VHS tapes floating around of a really bad version of this pilot and he still today feels <laughs> embarrassed about it. I'd love to see that. Uh, Lynch then provided an ending to the project, making it a feature film. The half pilot half feature result, along with Lynch's characteristic style, has left the general meaning of the film's events open to interpretation. Lynch has declined to offer any explanation of his intentions, leaving audiences, critics and cast members to speculate on what transpires. He gave the film the tagline, A Love Story in the City of Dreams. Just real quick, it won at Cannes Film Festival 2001 Best Directing Award, and it was nominated for Best Director Academy Award. I'm, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to say, if you have not seen Mulholland Drive, you should stop the podcast now, before we get into the scene. <laughs> you should watch it and then come back, um, because... <laughs> I don't want to take away that experience that you're going to have when you see it for the very first time. So do it. Yeah. And also, we would like to uh, have the first This Guy Edits podcast viewing parties. We'd like to hear about them. How do they go? Let us know. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. So I picked the <laughs> casting scene for the uh, analysis portion of this podcast. Are you okay with that? Do you think that's a good representation of the film? Do you have any... Uh, what would we do if I said no? I mean, any scene's a great representation. You know what I mean? Well, there's some scenes where you There's so many scenes could... I remember, yeah. like, distinctly, and then looking back at it, I'm like, well, I really only remember... Oh, wait, no, what about that whole vivid memory I have? Right, those are the same movie. I mean, it's just it's just kind of like an amazing, amazing experience. But this is a great one, because there's something I want to say about uh, a major Lynch thing, which is performances, which we'll, we'll talk about. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just wanted to say that there are obviously these vignettes that you could pick, which don't really relate to what I think is kind of the main storyline for 75% of the film. And this one is like right in the main storyline. So I thought that'd be a nice nice pick for that, that you get sort of a feel yeah. of what's, uh, what's going on. So, it's a great popular scene. Yeah. With no further... I mean, it's only six minutes long. Yeah. Let's take a look. Yeah, it's a little long, but I think it'll be fine. We'll play a lot of sound ups because there's not a lot of gr like editing going on. I think it's a perfectly edited film. I think it's a perfectly shot film. No doubt about it. But it's a very... Like, the acting is what makes this scene so amazing as well. So... We're in a casting office. I'm going to start this scene in three, two. Voila. Betty Elms. I would like you to meet Jack Tuckman. 
My assistant. Woody Katz, who we have cast in the part of Chuck and will do the scene with you. Naomi Watts is being led into a room full of people and the producer is introducing everybody. And this is kind of a casting situation that doesn't feel real at all. Like this is not any casting session that I've sat in. This is like the dream. You would be welcomed as a new arriving actress in LA and everybody's there to give you that moment to do the scene. But it's also the like the worst situation also. <laughs> Because it's, it's so just many so people, sort of uncoordinated and formal, and yeah. Hi. <laughs> so, shall we give it a go? Uh, would you like a water, a coffee, uh, before we begin? No, I'm, I'm fine. And she's definitely vulnerable well, here, like the way that yeah. she's being touched, and like the actor is like pulling her mm -hmm. in in a moment. Betty, why don't you join Woody over there, and we'll play the scene. Bob, do you have anything you wish to say? I love this director. Mm -hmm. Gives her a direction that like makes zero sense to her. It's not a contest. The two of them. With themselves. So don't play it for real until it gets <laughs> real. So it's Lynch basically. <laughs> and nice reaction shots. Everybody's like just utterly confused. But she is in good spirits. She wants to do good. What? <laughs> hey, Bobby, I want to play this one nice and close, like we did with that other girl. Uh, what's her name? Uh, the one with the black hair. And oh, she has this somewhat gross actor, I feel like. Like, he's overly tanned, older, and he's very possessive. Yeah, he's less moves, basically. Yeah. And it seems like it's one thing, but then it'll turn out that it's a different thing. Yeah, some insights here about how acting works like that and then I'll put you in jail they all say it the same way so when they say it I just react what's your name Betty yeah Betty look you don't rush it I don't rush it okay now we're gonna play this nice and close and mm -hmm. we're in this two shot and we're gonna be in this two shot for a while and he just pulls her really close where it feels kind of inappropriate Bob? it feels like Rosemary's baby like she's just been brought into this yeah. thing and then who knows what's going to happen. The director basically is incompetent or checked out is what that reads to me. Like he's always not looking when, when we cut to him mm -hmm. and then he looks up. thought that's what you wanted. Nobody wants you here. Really? My parents are right upstairs. They think you've left. <laughs> so surprised. I can call them. Because we've seen this scene before, we think that, you know, it's just something that it shouldn't be, but it actually turns out she's in total control. and Absolutely. Exactly and there's a defining moment right here, that close-up insert of her hand mm -hmm. taking his hand and just, like, making him grab her ass. Sorry. Which really shows to us... You're playing a dangerous game here. She is actually an amazing actress right now, and we're going to figure it out. Right now, we're going to just experience that. You know what I want. Yeah. Taking control. It's not that difficult. Exactly. It's showing she's in control of this. And then all of it is... Get out. It's just done very professionally. It's intimate, but it's professional. Get like out. The kissing and everything. Yeah. He trusts you. You're his best friend. At this point, I'm like wondering, oh, this is, this is too much for an audition. Like, these are actors that haven't worked with each other. 
What about you? What do your dad think about you? And it's completely mm. stepping over what would you be doing during an audition unless you've really come to an agreement beforehand. If I tell them what happened, they'll arrest you and put you in jail. But I think that's the point here, is that she is like so confident about yeah. making this happen. Mm -hmm. But there's also a weird thing where it's, is, is this just what he was saying before, which is it's just about reacting. Yep, yep. You know, it was very different rehearsing with the roommate, but now with him, it's just, you know, you get the right actor in there and there's just this natural spark and it'll work. Yeah. And then finally, she then forces the kiss by putting her arm around his neck and pulling him in. Before. And she's supposed to be holding a knife also, right? Oh, yeah. Very true. So he might not even see the knife right now. And he thinks yeah. this is supposed to be like the dad's best friend that stayed behind while dad went right. off to work and he's now <laughs> taking advantage of the daughter. Well, then it puts you in jail. And she's defending herself. Right. And it's funny how overlooked the guy is in this scene too because he does a really incredible job. Yeah. And then we're cutting <laughs> just, back out to the two shot. Which is interesting, and it might be tear streak related. I know Sven likes yeah. to judge those tears. Those tears weren't there in the other closer one, I think. <laughs> so that's why maybe we had to cut out for a second. He found the perfect take, but there were yeah. no tears. I'm going to take her over there. Yeah, big time. And then the scene is over, and everybody's like blown away. And something that was very stiff at the beginning... In a, in a scene that she's playing that we thought is quite cheesy because, as you mentioned, she is auditioning, practicing that scene with uh, her, um, uh, with the other girl. I don't want to say a roommate, but the one that sort of inhabited her space. And they kind of make fun of how badly written that scene is. And it actually turned out to be amazing in the audition. Right. Which kind of acted so hints well. at the fact that actor, great actors can make bad lines sound amazing, which is mm -hmm. totally true. Um, it helps yeah, to have a great bring script. A to life. But, uh, well, good, bad actors can, can ruin good stuff too. Absolutely. And yeah. really good actors, incredible actors can make good stuff seem like really bad stuff and then come back and do it as if it's really good stuff while creating this performance that you think is the most incredibly shallow, shitty actress you've ever seen in film and then suddenly snap into this gear is pretty incredible. And there's like a few examples I feel like I've seen of this, but this was just such a... It's such perfect, perfect, perfect casting and so subversive in the way that Lynch approached it. And of course, like being subversive is like the one thing you can kind of comment on with his work, which is like, look, we know that there's an expectation that you're playing into here that you're then twisting. And I mean, we could talk about Twin Peaks, the return for like a month on this podcast, but not many people saw it. And I'm sure Sven didn't, I but didn't. there just so much of what he does is dependent on the way you're interpreting it. So this whole thing is set up where you're interpreting that Naomi Watts is just this, it's kind of like a hilariously mediocre actress that he got because she's unknown at the time yes. for this film. And then it's like, wait, what? And that is the one thing about Lynch, not the one thing, but a reason that you know, I mean, there's plenty of examples of his career 
that there is like intention and craft and incredible amount of talent and an unfathomable understanding of the craft of film that's being implemented in his filmmaking and the performances that he gets out of some actors, be it Naomi Watts in this. I mean, so many people in so many of his films, Kyle MacLachlan in Twin Peaks, The Return. It's just, it's just, it shows an amazing deliberate filmmaker to be able to pull this kind of thing and capture the performances in this way and then get performances even in the original Twin Peaks and network television format that are just just mind-boggling well but Naomi Watts clearly uh, shows off that she is a star here and I'm pretty sure this was the first big film that she made Uh, I looked at her IMDb she had a couple of shorts prior to that 100% was and that's that's most of what the impact of it was was that she was so unknown and yeah. so clearly a movie star yeah. like undeniably which is a rare thing to come across usually it's you know like tom cruise running around in the background and taps you know and you kind of discover him this was just all in i found a star i'm gonna prove it to you yeah and it wasn't like it just worked for this like she's i mean clearly a phenomenal actress in so many things and that's the fun thing about people rediscovering this is it still has the impact even though they know who Naomi Watts is and may very well be going into it because they've formed a kinship with her through her other work. Yeah, I'm, I can tell from some of the previous shorts that she's done or she even, I remember seeing like a scene with a video camera where she was driving and just like really a desperate actress. She must have been in LA for a while and just had no bites whatsoever. And I think she put all that into this part and just <laughs> made this she herself says that actually the betty part here that she thought it was kind of too one-dimensional and that she was happy that they canceled the pilot and then um, lynch added sort of the darker side to this character which is the diane character to it so that she mm-hmm. has more even more to to do <laughs> and show some i'll just make darker. you a new character <laughs> sure um, but anyway, those are all spoilers. I want to go back to the beginning. Well, one one thing I just want to add real quick to what yeah. you're saying about the performances is is it's funny because in this film, like the just keep in mind the guy in that scene also it's as equally incredible a performance, but just something about the nature of this film that's just making these things so like he just literally appears in this scene and then vanishes, and yet <laughs> the work that he's doing is just as incredible as hers. Which yeah, which is, which is very. I mean, that's the thing about Mulholland Drive. You have Robert Foster in one scene, I'm pretty sure, only in there. Right. And and then J- Justin Thoreau doing the, his incredible performance. Yeah. He, I mean, he, just... His character is set up as if he's going to be in this film forever. Like, he's going to be investigating <laughs> this crime story that's going on. We never see him again. And right. there's so many of these little things <laughs> happening in the film where you're like, oh, he's setting up for something that... Uh, it's going to be important, and it's not. He's just sort of making, I guess, fun of us, or he just doesn't care. And then he comes back in Twin Peaks The Return to replace a different actor, the sheriff. It's, it's <laughs> amazing. Um, all right, so we're at seven seconds? Yeah, seven seconds, high-angle shot of the entire room to, I think, to just tell us how overwhelming this is. I mean, there's just people everywhere in that frame. She's like, this is like a Senate hearing almost feels to me and <laughs> what i noticed i watched the scene without the audio and i noticed the camera movement like every shot seems to be on a fisher 11 which is a dolly 
and it's just sort of slightly moving with the actors. And it, it's a really nice, if you can afford to tell your stories that way, it creates this nice organic flow. It makes everything feel alive more than these locked off shots that are, feel like pre-designed where actors need to hit their mark perfectly. Um, here it feels mm -hmm. like the, the camera is really responding to how the actors sort of act in the moment. And you'll see that throughout as we go on, that the, even in the two shots or the close-ups, the camera is always ready to move and react if it needs to. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a nice luxury to have when you're shooting. Sometimes you can't afford to do that because it takes a long time to set up these shots. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's my number one takeaway. We have this two-shot at 11 seconds, and you saw a slight move there. Um, he's going around the room introducing everybody. <laughs> They're all kind of stiff and have these superficial grins on their face. Yeah. It's also... I love the way the yeah. most typical assistant in the history of like films is introduced. Like She's out of the shot for one <laughs> moment and <laughs> introduces the casting agent. It's just the assistant's just there. Like the closest one to the camera not even acknowledged it's it's hilarious and creepy and disturbing yeah i find it also interesting that every assistant is introduced in this scene and even before yeah. like the important people are introduced like he just goes right. through the room which i don't <laughs> think is the etiquette uh, that usually is <laughs> Who knows? happening it goes like first the director then the actor then the <laughs> casting director and then probably nobody else would be introduced right. um <laughs> The way it's lit and shot and told, it just feels not real. I mean, I don't want to say it's a dream, but I feel like it's kind of a vision of what she thinks would be the perfect way to get your start in Hollywood. Like she's two days into mm. L.A., it feels like, and everybody's like welcoming her. It's a little creepy and weird that she's being touched by the producer, the actor, <laughs> um, but I think that's by design. Oh, I saw a, I saw an Emmy in the background on 108, yeah. which is an indication that we're talking about a TV show here and not a movie. Yeah, I'm I'm sure this is just what the casting was for Twin Peaks. Yeah, <laughs> I love 115. I already talked about the director is not even looking at her at this point. He's like mm -hmm. looking at a book. It could be potentially be the script. Or the, I thought he was looking at the script. Yeah. yeah. It's he just a, a really there, thick script, so I was a little like, is this really mm -hmm. the script? Um, it seems like... Well, they double-spaced those TV scripts. I don't even know what she's up for, but yeah. it looks, looks legit to me. You know that they didn't have... It's not the script from Mulholland Drive. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I'm, we're staying in this high angle. We're not getting really fancy with the coverage to try to find a second master or so. Um, everybody has sort of a very defined shot. And that's the shot mm -hmm. that it is. Um, yeah. We talk about coverage. People think when I talk about getting coverage, it's just, just get some crappy shot to cover it. No, all your coverage, every shot should mean something and be impactful and powerful. And that's that's what these are. Yeah. You know, so they, they don't feel like coverage. I want to talk about the shot at 136. That's the medium shot of the director. Again, he's looking down at the beginning at the head of the shot and then goes into this weird direction that he gives. And once he's done, we're cutting to a series of reaction shots 
to the producer who's not understanding the direction to the three sitting on the couch which are all like casting people they look at each other like what the hell then the to the two shot of her she's <laughs> trying so hard to understand what he's saying and she's keeping up a good face and then the hmm. the actor is sort of trying to comfort her here i guess <laughs> um we talk the scene itself i think it's pretty self-explanatory um that we go from a scene that feels like awkward and she is vulnerable to no she's really not she's just playing it and she's taking charge when we go to the insert shot i think it's worth noting uh insert is at 317 that probably nobody but the actor knows that she is in control at this point so i'm sort of mm -hmm. saying everybody's watching what's going on up top and she is uh underneath sort of signaling him i got this let's go let's tango well i thought she was just i thought the character was doing that in the scene yes that's what i'm saying yeah but the insert i, I don't like as the actress, what I'm saying is probably nobody in the room would be look would be noticing this. We know this as the audience, but nobody else in the room would hmm. know this because it know. gives us we know now understand what's going on with her character, right? Or her performance. Yeah. I I kind of feel like the people in the room, it'd be hard to miss that with the <laughs> they're all just sitting in a circle staring at them. Um and it's kind of indicated, like she holds the hand for a second and moves it. Yeah. I don't know. And then we're going to the closer two shot um, and staying in this. And this is a good example of when not to cut. And I've, I'm facing mm -hmm. this with a feature right now as well as I'm cutting. Really find those shots where we can just let the actors do what they do and don't, don't interfere with the editing. Let them just go. And mm -hmm. so this plays for a long time. And then we talked about this cutting out to the white shot, which I think works also yeah. in terms of the storytelling. Like, Of course. Yeah, it's great. And you, it's just a great example of how you get that little added bonus of it breaks the tension, but then also you're able to kind of have the tears there. And I, we couldn't even prove that, you know. Well, let's take a closer look and wasn't see if she's already starting to tear up before we go to the white shot. Let's yeah. see, I'm at 5.05. Still a while, I guess. 5.11. She looks him dead in the eyes. I see no tears. She looks just really... Well, at 5... Yeah, they're welling up. 21, I see, yes. We seem like such psychos, like, studying tears from, from like, podcast to podcast. Yeah. But... The point the point is that there's nothing about that moment that's made more impactful just because she has some yeah. tears on her face. I highly doubt that's why it was chosen. It's so just the intensity of the performance and everything's perfect. It might just be also a pacing um, issue that it just took her maybe another yeah. five, ten seconds to get there. And yeah. this way we got there a little faster and it just flows better. Right, or it was just the right time, which it feels like, to show that tension breaking, the arm being taken down, and yeah. then by the time you punch back in, the tears are there. It could be anything. But it, if you were to have a less powerful actor, it, and you really did want wet tears running down a face, it's an example of how you can do that. 
without yeah. giving it away. Yeah, you definitely need the wider shot to see that she grabs his arm and pulls it away. So, and I'll go even further and say it's a little troubling that the tears are there. You know what I mean? It takes you. It doesn't really take you out of it, obviously, but it risks taking you out of it a little more for there not to be tears and then to be them. Yeah, but it feels completely right. So all the right choices were made. Yeah, it's rare to find a movie that frames your performance and actually celebrates your acting so well. And I think that's something that really helped Adam Driver a lot when yes. he did Girls, because he's you know playing the actor, and you get to actually see how good he is at acting and then how 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 much he cares about acting and stuff like that jumping between the things so every once in a while you get a role like this at frames you but i think she's done plenty of amazing it's really the material that gave her yeah, the opportunities and it's just so perfectly so perfectly used yeah and it's just for me personally <laughs> i feel like i've never had this experience with any of her performances before where i like just completely like fell in love with it um, and she's yeah. done, I mean, she did the other movie with Benicio Del Toro shortly thereafter. Yeah, right? 21 Grams, I was going to mention that. I one. mean, that's an amazing performance as well. But yeah. um, it just doesn't have, I don't have that personal connection with it yeah. as much. Well, of course. Big fan of the film, obviously. I don't, I mean, I have a personal theory how I sort of interpret these two characters her and the the girl with the black hair mm -hmm. i i kind of feel it's actually the same person that's my approach Whoa. to watching the film so Whoa. we're seeing two sides <laughs> of the same character and once you watch it that way there's a lot of things that suddenly oh i see i see a clue here i see a clue there um mm -hmm. but um i'm not going to i'm not going to pretend like i know what this all means I, th I i really feel like david lynch just went for it and he just trusted himself and whatever instinct whatever notion came up he just followed it through and it happened to just become this amazing intriguing right. mystery of nobody knows and everybody wants to know so. and and ironically it ties to psycho in that it was another movie that was almost became a tv show and then didn't you know and, and it's just there are these two legendary films not entirely dissimilar in genre and style and just the fact that they at some point were gonna just not exist in this form is always i think emboldening to filmmakers to realize okay you don't always know yeah and then we really look forward to your comments and thoughts and reactions to this we'll have a lot to respond to those next week or in the coming weeks so thank you very much for the suggestion hey if they want to make a comment where would they go sven oh tyler they can go to thisguyedits.com slash podcast or if they want to try out our reddit thisguyedits.com slash comment awesome so thank you for listening thank you for telling your friends fellow filmmakers about the podcast we appreciate the interaction we appreciate the community we depend on it that's where this suggestion came from Ramp up the pressure on Sven to see Bohemian Rhapsody. I feel like it's going to happen before the Oscars, but I don't know. But next week will be They I'll, Shall Not Grow Old. I'll take a look and see if it's still in theaters. And I'll make an it effort. <laughs> Thank you to Kurda for the music. And as Sven always says, happy editing. There's no same zone to put your head between the speakers. There's no same
insane zone so put your head between the speakers okay i th i hope this one worked out well it's always hard to do one where you like if you really want to do well and write down a lot of stuff and then it becomes a little yeah i think i covered everything but it's uh sometimes when you're just in the moment it's just like david lynch it's just better <laughs> i am i have yeah that's great i love that turning off the thing <laughs>